Welcome to Rhode Island's Amazing Women, the public affairs show that celebrates women who make a difference. This airs on several radio stations at the website, amazingwomenri.com, and of course, a podcast available on all your favorite streaming devices. So thanks for listening. I'm Deb Ruggiero. Homelessness and affordable housing have been top of mind policy issues that we've discussed a lot on this program. Ending homelessness means providing housing. Sounds simple, but very complicated. My guest is Karen Santilli, the CEO of Crossroads Rhode Island since 2015. Crossroads is the state's largest provider of services for the unhoused in Rhode Island. So Karen, thank you so much for stopping by and joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me, Deb. I appreciate it. This is like the perfect storm, you know, for those who are unhoused. The pandemic fallout, we have rising rents, we have a lack of apartments. In your many years of doing this work, is this the worst you've seen uh, dealing with the unhoused in our state? Yes, it is the worst that I've seen. I've actually been at Crossroads since 2008. I started as the chief marketing and philanthropy officer and then became CEO in 2015. And in my, so it's been 15 years now in (laughs) total. I... I've never seen the numbers this high. In fact, pre-pandemic, when Crossroads received um, a wonderful surprise grant from the Bezos Family Fund for family homelessness, we were able to use those funds for immediate impact on families that were in shelter experiencing homelessness, as well as the families on the shelter wait list. And we had gotten the family shelter wait list from 400 families down to 40. We essentially had almost gotten to a functional zero in family homelessness just before the pandemic hit. Mm. Uh, Rhode Island was in the top five states in the country. When you look at HUD's point in time count in terms of the number of unsheltered homeless that uh, Rhode Island had. So we had the lowest proportion in the country on the proportion of people experiencing homelessness who were without shelter. In other words, our shelter system Right. was able to address the needs of the people experiencing homelessness. Since the pandemic, uh, the opioid crisis, the, the uh, lack of um, units that are of available and affordable for people, rising rents, you're right, it's a perfect storm. Mm-hmm. We now have highest among the highest increases of homelessness and unsheltered homeless in the country. And what is that number? What does it look like? I know it's it varies. It varies. And um, so pre-pandemic on a given point in time, uh, our count would be about 1,100 individuals in total experiencing homelessness. I believe that number is now up to 14, 1,500. We're waiting Mm. for the most recent numbers to come out. Mm -hmm. Um, Our unsheltered and chronic homeless number pre-pandemic was less than 100 people. Um, Now, some say 300, 400, 500. Um, and for many people, you know, they're working, they're raising a family. It takes just one crisis, right? Losing a job, a landlord wants to raise the rent. The next thing you know, uh, the family's in a tailspin. Can you share a story for us? Kind of put a face on who the unhoused are in Rhode Island. Yeah. So, you know, the interesting and ironic thing is the vast majority of people who do experience homelessness, the families that are coming into homelessness, you would never know by looking at them or walking by them on the street or in a store. They are 
every family. They are every individual. That's the vast majority. Only about 25% of people experiencing homelessness are considered the chronic homeless. They've had multiple issues. They sort of fit the, the stereotype of someone who, quote unquote, looks like they've been homeless or experiencing homelessness. 75% are, they're working. They are living paycheck to paycheck. Um, we have families who reach out to us or individuals that they're working. Uh, in one particular instance, they had to leave their apartment because another family member of the landlord needed the apartment. And now they, they're, they're looking to find a new apartment to move into. The mm -hmm. rents are all higher. And, and because folks have been living paycheck to paycheck and the cost of living has gone up so much, they don't have money in the bank for um, that first and last month's rent, the security deposit. What we're also seeing, particularly with families, is they owe money to the utility companies. Mm. And so while they're trying to get the utilities turned on in their new apartment, that can't happen because they have to pay off their arrearage to the utility companies. So there you have that. That tailspin, so circuitous. Yes. The Rhode Island Foundation has done a lot of work around this policy issue. You know, they funded a report a couple of years ago by the Boston Consulting Group, which showed Rhode Island ranks last in the nation for housing production per capita, only about 1,150 housing units. So what needs to be done to increase more production in communities? And are cities and towns on board with this? Uh, we need more uh, we need more new units coming on. We need to preserve the apartments. One of the things that the Boston Consulting Group Rhode Island Foundation study found was, uh, which I think was a surprise to some, was the number of apartments that we lose just because they they uh, become old and deteriorated and are demolished. And so there's, and or perhaps going into the bed and breakfast world, the, the Airbnb world, rather. Yeah, that's um, definitely decimated the housing. So we're industry. losing inventory. So we mm -hmm. need to preserve the inventory that we have and we need to build new units. Mm -hmm. And in order for that to happen, we do need cities and towns to get on board. We do need to cut some of the red tape. We do need to increase funding, particularly. So the kinds of housing that Crossroads develops is for people that are 40% of the area median income. Generally, if you're living on disability income, mm -hmm. that's the category that you're in. And there are simply not enough of those units being developed, not enough in total. I mean, they say the tide rises all boats. I mean, we need housing at all income levels. That's right. But there are not enough developers focusing on this 40 and 50% area median income, the extremely low income group. So we mm -hmm. need Federal dollars are great there with there's the Senator Reed has been amazing in getting housing trust fund dollars to build housing for those units. Um, we need more of that. Mm -hmm. um, and we need to, to simply start producing them. I mean, mm -hmm. three years ago when we we're in the pandemic, people were saying, well, housing costs takes too long to develop. So let's create more shelters. Had we developed the housing then, those folks would be in their own apartments. Now, right. And we'll talk about that uh, community housing, because I believe in that whole concept. And we've got some, some uh, you know, we'll talk more about that. But I want to talk about some of the work that Crossroads is doing. You're opening the state's first apartment complex um, for medically vulnerable adults experiencing homelessness. I think it's about 35 units, if I'm not mistaken, to be built on Pine Street, correct? Yes. So 
tell us what is medically vulnerable adults mean and <laughs> what's different about this housing project? So one of the things that we've been seeing over the last several years with people coming into shelter and having a hard time getting out because they can't find housing that's appropriate for them is mm -hmm. they're either um, aging older chronologically or just their bodies physically are aging faster because they've experienced housing homelessness for so long. Uh, we have people that have become amputees during the time that they've experienced homelessness. We know when people experience chronic homelessness, uh, they have higher rates of diabetes because they're not able to manage it properly with food and, and medication. Uh, we know that folks, we've seen people um, who uh, have um, not only the folks that um, they need to come out of the hospital with home nursing care and they don't have a place to go. So they end up living in the hospital, taking up a bed from someone who might need it more, getting expensive care when really they could, they could be at home with visiting nurses. So we've done a couple of pilots to take folks in this situation. We provide the housing and the wraparound supportive services, just like we always do. Mm -hmm. But then we're partnering with a healthcare provider to provide the health services in their home. And what we've seen in these two pilot programs is that through that model of partnership and focused efforts on keeping people supported in their own apartments, they end up becoming healthier. They get right. the health care that they need. They're not using the hospital system inappropriately. They're happier. Uh, they have a better quality of life. They become better members in, of, of, uh, of the community because they have their own bathroom. The visiting nurses right. are coming to their to their home. So what we have been planning is to create a building like this where it's permanent supportive housing for individuals experiencing homelessness, but have these other needs. We have one man in our shelter that is visually impaired. Uh, and so this building has been designed, it's not assisted living, but it's been designed by Kite Architects who are amazing architects. Also, um, Christine West, another amazing woman that you should interview. Okay, well, you can um, put me in touch with her. <laughs> yeah, she's designed this building with human-centered design principles. And so yeah. the, the molding around the doorways, the handlebars on the doorways, the colors that are used in the hallways to help people who are visually impaired, who are hearing impaired, who are physically impaired, to be able to live in their own apartments safely, um, re respectfully, with wraparound services, there's gonna be a healing garden. So if they have on-site occupational or physical therapy, they'll have like a, a walking path that's private and beautiful with plantings yeah. and green space. Well, you make uh, a good point though, that if somebody has a, a nice home to go to, you certainly reduce the stress level. And I think there was another study where the the, um, the median age of a homeless person is substantially shorter because of the stress of where am I living? How safe exactly. will I be? So how is that project being received uh, in the community? It has, I don't think there's been any uh, pushback yet. So we went to the Providence City Planning Commission last week. Mm -hmm. um, they approved the plan, a 100% unanimous vote in favor we had uh, four individuals from the city of Providence that showed up. One of them said they've never been to um, 
a city plan commission meeting like that, but they found out about this project and just really wanted to support it. So we were thrilled. Good. We had two um, shelter guests that um, that are will be personally positively impacted by this, and they spoke in favor. There were letters of support. So good. What we saw at that meeting was full support for this. That's important. The community is there. Hey, if you're just joining us, uh, thanks for being here. I'm Deborah Giro. Uh, The show is Rhode Island's Amazing Women. Karen Kay is our producer. We can't do this show without Karen, so I like to give her a shout out. You can hear this podcast anytime on all your favorite streaming devices and, of course, the website, amazingwomenri.com. My guest is Karen Santilli, the CEO of Crossroads Rhode Island. She has been at the forefront helping the unhoused in Rhode Island at Crossroads since 2008. Karen, there seems to be a disconnect, you know, between the supply of housing units. We talked about that and what people can even afford to pay in this state. Um, You know, the answer is simple, build more housing. But when it's complicated and when we talk about affordable housing in Rhode Island, what is considered affordable? So there are different definitions. HUD has one definition, but um, Housing Works, uh, the Housing Factbook, Housing Works Rhode Island, Brenda mm-hmm. Clements Group, has um, they do a great study. And yeah, she's been on the at, show several times. Really yeah. good work. So what they look at is if you're spending more than thirty percent of your family's household income on your housing costs, then you're you're considered housing cost burdened. Uh, mm-hmm. Generally, uh, HUD will say if. Uh, you are making 80% of the area's median income where you live, um, then you qualify for affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think really it's, so it's it's two sides of the same coin. It's trying to get the supply and demand and the rates, the rental rates at reasonable levels, but also helping people with their income. And one mm-hmm. of the program areas that Crossroads offers folks is, education and employment training. So we, if we can help them find employment or uh, find employment where it improves what they're already earning in the job market, we know their ability to pay their rent is, is directly correlated to their ability to maintain their housing. So That's while right. we're working on helping them find housing, we really want them to maintain the housing. Right. That's a good point because housing is where jobs go to sleep at night, you know, in a homeless shelter. Yeah. You provide a meal, you pl- provide a clean bed, uh, but the real need of your clients is not to be homeless, right? They Correct. want a safe place to rebuild their lives. So you mentioned that program, but what are some of the programs that Crossroad Rhode Island provides to help people help themselves? So when folks enter our shelters and we have uh, a series of, we have couples, shelter, women's shelter, domestic violence, men, family, we start right away on helping them with their housing plan. And we do what's called strength-based. So we help the household look at what resources they may already have, what strengths do they have that they can build on and really help empower them Mm -hmm. to work with us, um, to find housing, to create the plan for them, to find the employment that will help them maintain and support their housing, We have a certified nursing assistant training program. We help folks get their uh, GEDs in our adult learning center. Um, We have financial literacy programs. So anyone who goes through any of our job training, but also our rental assistance programs um, goes through the financial literacy. So they understand when they start earning income, how to manage their funds to make sure their rent gets paid. 
uh, these are all tools that they will have for the rest of their lives. That's right. We don't want our customers coming back to us. We want to be able to provide them um, with the tools that they can be successful without us. And that starts as soon as we start working with them. And how many, you call them customers, clients, how many uh, do you serve at Crossroads? Over the course of a year, through all of our programs, shelter, support services, housing, um, last year we served just over 4,000 individuals in Rhode Island. Wow, that's amazing. So when you think about the vision and the goals of Crossroad Rhode Island, you know, in the next five years, where would you like to see the state be in terms of housing? I know five years is a long time away, uh, even in a couple of years, three years. What's the vision? My vision is that we would have housing problem solving and a shelter system that allows people to be safe while experiencing homelessness so that their experience, what we call, what we say is rare, brief, and non-recurring. So shelter is just for a place to be safe for a very short period of time, get them out and get them rehoused quickly in an apartment where they can afford that puts them on a path to success, where ultimately at some point, maybe they end up owning their own home. I would love for us to have what's called a by name list. So we know every single individual and family that's experiencing homelessness, and we have a plan for them and a path to get them out of homelessness. And that that system Mm -hmm. is working together reducing bureaucracy and reducing barriers and making sure that resources are being allocated equitably across uh, the households that need it the most um, so that if someone ends up falling into homelessness, we're getting them out as quickly as possible, Mm -hmm. that their their children are not living in shelters. Rare, brief, and non-recurring. Yes. That's not mine. I didn't make that up. That's no, a, that's I know, but it, it's a good way to look at what you want. It's like people struggle, they fall, they trip, they need help, you know, getting back and you just want to make sure they stay the course, but it does all yeah. come down to what's affordable in a marketplace. Everyone says, oh, we need more affordable housing in our community, yet no one really wants it in their neighborhood right? Mm-hmm. So we have mm-hmm. that problem. And I think we need to rebrand, you know, the um, as community housing, you know, where mixed income residents live, not unlike what they're doing in uh, Montgomery County, Maryland, you know, they have a $100 million revolving fund to build mixed housing rents at all different levels. And I know Rhode Island, the legislature is doing a lot of work, and they're certainly considering a revolving fund, I think, with $50 million for housing. What are your thoughts on these revolving funds for community housing? I, you know, we need a permanent funding stream to create housing. And I love the idea of mixed um, and community housing. We are part of what we are calling the East Providence Collaborative. It's Mm -hmm. four organizations, all women led, that have come together to uh, voluntarily in partnership to create a new community uh, that will provide housing for individuals and families coming out of homelessness foster youth aging out of foster care. So foster forward is involved, Mm -hmm. family services involved with, uh, they will be partnering, um, working with families that are currently in the DCYF system. And then uh, one neighborhood builders who will develop the property on behalf of the collaborative will 
have uh, managed a mix of income levels from 80 to 120% area median income. So it will be 160 units, 160 mm -hmm. apartments. Um, there'll be a childcare center as part of the, of the building. And so I think this is a beautiful example. It's taking a three acre blighted and abandoned piece of property in East Providence, turning it into a beautiful community of individuals and families of all income levels, of all backgrounds. Right. Um, and, and, and bringing some vibrancy to that community while addressing a really critical need. 100%. And as you were talking about the four agency organizations, I'm thinking, yep, all led by women. You know? <laughs> yep. If you're just tuning in, thanks for joining us. I'm Deborah Giro. Rhode Island's Amazing Women, Karen Kay's our producer, and uh, our guest is Karen Santilli, the CEO of Crossroads Rhode Island. Uh, she's been at the forefront helping uh, the homeless in this state since 2008, uh, now the CEO since 2015. Karen, your leadership is really important uh, at Crossroads, and it's enabled you know, by your board. How does your board of directors contribute to the success of your mission? Thank you. Yeah, I have an amazing board that they're so supportive of what we do. Um, we are, we are um, fortunate that 100% of the board has all supported our current campaign to develop our new housing. Um, we have folks from so many different sectors in society, media, uh, law, banking, human resources, people with lived experience, people from government, um, that are really there uh, to help guide us. They don't. Um, they don't get in. <clears throat> in they don't get their hands dirty in terms of the day to day operations, but they know enough to be able to provide right. um, support and constructive feedback. As we uh, and and trust that the management team runs the organization. We could not do what we do without the support. Right. Uh, in leadership of our board and um and it's it goes way beyond just their financial support yeah well you've done tremendous uh work and so has the board and it certainly as you uh, outlined you know takes a community to do all that um so let's talk about personal who are some of your mentors um you know uh ann nolan my predecessor here at Crossroads um, was an amazing mentor to me and still is. Um, in fact, sometimes I have to remind her that she doesn't still run Crossroads in that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> She's so incredibly dedicated to the mission and the values of the organization she that uh, I can contact her uh, for guidance. Um, my past, most recent past board chair, as well as my current board chair, Jack McConnell and Julie yeah. Duffy have been um, incredibly supportive in my career and, and mentoring. And then, you know, I look to the other, um, women and peer agencies, you know, working with in particular, the, the women as part of the East Providence collaborative has really been meaningful and powerful and supportive for, for me, because, you know, we've been through a really difficult time right. and, and we're all kind of tired, but we know we can't stop. So you got to keep persevering. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's great that the collaboration with all of those amazing women, you know, getting it done, like you said before, um, I can't thank you enough. You know, your staff, your board, you know, your volunteers, 
so many people every day helping uh, the unhoused in Rhode Island. So uh, thank you so much for joining us, Karen. Really, Thank you, Deb. Thanks for having me and this opportunity on your platform to share our story. I end each show with a quote, and this one is from psychologist Dr. Asa Don Brown. Homelessness is not a choice, but rather it's a journey that many find themselves in. And we must always remember every unhoused person once had a home. So now our goal is to find those homes. Thank you for spending time with me. I'm Deb Ruggiero. You can listen to any of these shows anytime at the website, amazingwomenri.com and on your favorite podcast, all your favorite streaming devices. So thank you for joining us. Be kind and stay well.